0: This is Toronto
1: Today on TSN 1050. Oh, yes, it is Toronto Today. Jim Taddy with you for the next hour. And just going to map a few things out. Leaf's Lunch returns later this month. Overdrive, the guys are back today. Everybody in tow. So that's Hayes, Noodles, and O Dog. They might have something to talk about. Can't wait for that. That happens from 4 to 7. And we also have the debut of Gameplay with Matt Cause, airing weekdays from 1 to 4. Gameplay is Canada's first daily radio show focused on sports betting and fantasy, providing listeners with the inside edge in every sport, along with the latest lines, best prop bets, and more. And so that happens at 1 with Matt Cause. And uh, Al's brother is... uh, Really involved in this, and we're going to have him on towards the end of our hour-long broadcast today. Uh, We've got a lot of ground to cover. I mean, clearly yesterday was Labor Day. And the one thing I want to say right off the top is uh, as we sit here on September 7th, uh, this week, this day, and this week, we will be returning to i guess air quotes normal in terms of you know everybody going back to school in class learning uh the way businesses have opened up um and, and you know to the state of of open that we are uh, this is the most normal we've been really since i want to say uh late march 2019. It's sort of when you you go about things and realize that kids are back in school and and that's sort of a staggered approach this week. Not everybody's in today, but there are a lot heading back. Um, that 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 is something to consider. And if you're out driving, I'm just going to put this out there. With kids being back in school, you know, be very careful at certain times of the day because there's a lot more foot traffic out there than it would have been before, and there's school buses and, and things like that. So be careful. So that's where we are uh, in terms of getting back to normal. Uh, we mapped out the schedule, Matt game play one to four overdrive the regulars are all back in their seats at four o'clock and uh, you know yesterday labor day we had the classic in hamilton and that was an interesting game uh, in that the second half was all tiger cats you wonder what was said in the dressing room at halftime um, and complimentary football we're going to try and and sort of stretch this into other sports but complimentary football is a coach's dream you have a punt return a pick six, and a pretty good offense and a pretty good defense. And the Argos were on the short end of a 32-19 score, not able to really get their offensive playbook going and not able to stretch the field, not able to develop anything offensively. And that's on them and that's on the Cats. But all I'm saying is there's a rematch on Friday. There's a day off today and there's two days to prep. And generally uh, when when teams play back-to-back games, as is the Labor Day uh, weekend, I guess, schedule that that, you know there's back-to-backs and and for everybody is that you know you don't have all the things on display in game one so when you're looking at how do you alter things just change the equation, remove the complimentary football from the catch, remove the punt return, remove the the pick six, then suddenly you've got a pretty close, close ball game. So so we'll see what happens on Friday night at, at BMO Field. So that's the CFL story. We'll dive into that later on. The Jays, what have they done? Well, they played themselves back into the wild card race, and it's all on them. A very nice story with the Jays in terms of, um, you know, where are they now with the the wild card yesterday, big win at Yankee Stadium, and they have three more games against the Yankees Today, Uh, It'll be uh, Martz against Garrett Cole. Martz goes off at ten and seven, and Garrett Cole at fourteen and six. Uh, Eight and two is what the Jays have been their last ten ball games. They, they sit at five forty four ball, which is .001 better than the Seattle Mariners, and much better .004 than than Oakland. But it's a sweep over Oakland. So the Jays sit three games out of the wild card, chasing Boston. And by the way, the Yankees have become normal now. Three and seven in their last ten, they've lost three straight. And if the Jays can keep hammering away at them, suddenly the Yankees uh, perch, which seemed to be etched in stone is now precarious so that wild card race over the weekend through a lot of different things the jays eight and two boston five and five and the yankees three and seven suddenly the door is open and the jays can march in and they're going to have to win their way in there's no question about that but you like when your team is in that position at this time of the season well let's get to tennis and i was up until 220 this morning bianca lost to uh, zachary Uh, this was very Grueling. It was tough to watch. He won 7-6, six, lost 6-7, six, and then 3-6. And towards the end of the second set, there was a groin... Thigh problem on the left side that really reared its ugly head uh, in the, the third set when it was tied at three. She had to go off for a medical break, came back all taped up, and it really had no stability on that left leg. And many times after a serve, you'd see her wins. Many times uh, you'd, when she had to have lateral movement, it was painful. She collapsed a couple of times in pain. Uh, this was a champion going out. There's no, no question about that. It was grueling to watch. And we'll get uh, further analysis on that now as we bring in our first guest, John Wortham, uh, who is here from Sports Illustrated. John, how are you today?
2: Good, how are you doing
1: good good uh, I, I just I was going over that Bianca match last night. I mean that was grueling that was heartbreaking for Canadians for sure, but a real gutsy performance. What was your take on that?
2: Yeah, I mean I, I think we're all sort of waiting to see uh where we're we're used to seeing her. Injured and playing through injury, and we're just all sort of holding our breath, hoping this is uh, the, the function of playing three sets of tennis, and this is uh, sort of a, a the kind of groin injury you, you get over quickly and not something that's going to sideline her. But no, I mean, she, she falls out of the top. I think she's number 20 now. So the ranking points come off. She didn't defend uh, her title. We're sort of calling it a title defense. But... She is so good, and she's still relatively young, and I think that she can really take a lot of positives away. Couldn't couldn't close the match. Her body gave out on her, which unfortunately is nothing new. But um, I, I think there are a lot of positives, and you just you just hope that um, you know a few days of rest is all that's needed here.
1: I mean, it was uh, sad to watch for obvious reasons, but it was our first real sort of long look at her. She's been, as you as you detailed there nicely, John. You know, battling injuries really for uh, all of this year, and, and certainly missed a lot of last year because of that, and 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 of course COVID. But I guess the question that comes out of that is, when you watched her play uh, leading up to last night, and could compare it to 2019, what what are the differences, or are there any?
2: Yeah, you know, and it's it's understandable. I mean, she she's had a really rough go of it over the last 2 years. The the closing power just just isn't there. And 2 years ago, it was almost like Layla Fernandez where uh, you know, she she could do little wrong and she always you know, the crowd was on her side, she always seemed to have the right shots at the right time. That's going away a little bit, but I think that um, you know, there a, a lot of positives here and losing 7-6 in the third is not the way you want to go out, but um at the same time, she won three matches to get there. She beat some good players along the way, and again, I think everyone's just kind of holding their breath that this is not the kind of injury that's going to take her out—you know, it'll take her out for, for for six days and not for sixty.
1: And, and what this does, and I think they pointed this out in the broadcast last night, is there's no uh, past U.S. Open women's singles winner in in action now. So this is this is open in the true sense of the word, and not the first time it's happened on on the tour this year, is it? There is a, uh, a, a
2: gaping chasm in this draw. And it, it's funny. I mean, I think we were all sort of, uh, thinking women's tennis was finally settling down and we had this, this core group of players and, you know, Naomi Osaka had won four majors in, in the last three years. And, uh, we, we, you know, Simona Hollop and Ash Barty was a clear cut number one. And this draw, I think I just said on the air, it's like the Star Wars cantina I mean it's just sort of this random group, and the one we have eight players left, only one of them has ever won a major. that's Barbara Krajikova who's playing the u s Open for the first time so uh, you know I mean with the plus side of that is we have Layla Fernandez, and we have this eighteen year old british player um' It's kind of the the fun of these things, but this is not the, uh, this is not the final eight anybody would have predicted eight days ago when this tournament started.
1: So Layla Annie Fernandez uh, takes on Spitalina and that'll be live on TSN one three four and five at approximately 2.30. what what's your take on Layla Fernandez we're all thrilled with this of course
2: it's really great to watch and some of this is just the tennis I, I think it's wonderful the tennis can accommodate someone that's uh you know five foot six inches tall and isn't serving one hundred and thirty miles an hour I mean there was a time not long ago when people were worried that women's tennis was going to turn into just sort of you know, Giant ball bashing, and uh, that is not her game at all. I think she's done a really nice job of using. You no, know, she's not just a fan favorite, but she's actually using it to her benefit. Um, I mean, I think it's helping her tennis. She's sort of on, on the right side of, uh, of confident and cocky. Again, that's a lot of. Uh, I, I think Bianca was very much the same way two years ago. It's fun that she's left-handed. It's fun that uh, you know C- Canada has become the, the tennis envy of the United States, and I think a lot of us. You know, I'm all jokes aside, and I think a lot of Americans are saying, "Wait a second, what are you guys doing with your talent identification? If you've got a, you know, the the seven-footer, LeBron James athleticism, it's one thing, but how come your sort of five foot six inch lefty is uh, is taking this tournament by storm, and we, meaning the United States, don't have a single player left in the draw, male or female? Uh, But it's it's a great story. We're just, you know, this this country to the south that has uh, ten times your population is a little
1: envious. <laughs> and we enjoy every second of that of course john you understand that
2: <laughs> it's, uh, it's well deserved
1: uh, I'm going to try and tie in Layla Fernandez with Felix Oje aliassime His match against Carlos Alcaraz live on TSN 1 and 4 at approximately 9 tonight. Of course, schedule uh, happening before him will dictate the exact starting time. But what I like about both of them, uh, if you could put them into the same category, they have this compete level. Uh, you know, there's a, a sort of a pushback at, at some point. Things aren't going well. And the both of them are able to dig deep and are uh, very, very competitive and, and very gritty, aren't they?
2: Yeah, it's, it's funny because it's sort of a, a different kind of grit, and Felix has, has weapons and sort they, of gears and levels of power that I'm not sure uh, Fernandez does. I, I also think that um, they've both really done a nice job with this crowd. And, you know, I mean, it, at some level, the, the athletes are the athletes, and, and the crowd is, but in, in tennis, in this individual sport where the fans are so close, where really you you take support wherever you get it, Crowds matter, and both of them have really sort of figured out a way. They're they're both these endearing personalities. Um, they, they both, uh, you know, are, are not necessarily your t- typical tennis players, and they both really found a way to uh, not just win the crowd, but but to use the crowd to benefit their tennis. I mean, the other thing with with Felix is he, he's yet to win a title. We've known about him for a few years. I think there there's sort of some murmuring of you know what you know is it time for a breakthrough. Well, he got to the second week of Wimbledon and now he's backed it up here and you remember that, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's still a young kid. So I think, um, a, lo- a lot of optimism. I think you sort of, he, he's this mix of, of youth and a very live arm, but also he has this really sort of measured, mature sort of, uh, a, a kind of disposition that you can really respect. Um, again, uh, you, you have, uh, been, the tennis gods have smiled on you. You're sort of spoiled, spoiled for riches. <laughs>
1: Well, and that's great. I mean, we enjoy that. And, and, um, you know, it's a one-two punch either way. On the men's side, when, when Dennis was around, uh, Felix and Dennis were the one-two punch and certainly Leila and, and Bianca. And we sort of look at that as, um, uh, it's a nice sort of Team Canada feel because it's not, uh, as we've had in the past, a solo act where all the scrutiny of the, of the country is on one person. This is a nice team and, and they, they support each other. That's a nice little feature, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I, I think there's really something to that too because we you know we we see this with Naomi Osaka, we see this with with players that represent one country. Uh, there's a lot of pressure there, and I, I think there's a real benefit to the fact that uh, sort of the the attention gets spread and the focus gets spread. And I mean, you basically have you've got four, four players now. You know, whatever, whatever it is, twenty two and under. Um, so it's going to be this way, presumably, for the next ten or fifteen years. But I, I think you're you're onto something uh, in in more ways than one. I mean, they they push each other. Um, you know, it, it, there's probably a, a bit of a rivalry now. I mean, I'm curious if if he gave Bianca Truth Serum, what she makes of this sort of uh, younger Canadian that's now gone further in the tournament she won than she has. But the, but the flip side is, I think there's something really advantageous of. Not everyone is getting all the attention, and I think that's something that uh, will, will really benefit all four of them.
1: John, uh, specifically the matches: Fernandez against Spitalina and OJ uh, Aliassim against Alcarez. How do you see these playing out? Um,
2: I, I think they're both winnable for for the Canadian players. I mean, they're much different matches. Uh, so Leila Fernandez beats Naomi Osaka, the defending champion, probably the, the best hardcore player in the world. She backs it up by beating Angie Kerber in three sets A lefty, a veteran who's won this event, a uh, much different opponent today. in, in Svitolina, I, you know, S- Svitolina is one of these players who gets to the latter round and then doesn't close. She, she's never won a major. She doesn't have trouble. It seems getting to the quarterfinals or semifinals. She has trouble once she gets there. She's a much more defensive player, certainly than, than Osaka. I, I think, um I think, you know, I, I think Layla has a real shot. I just am curious how she's holding up. It's, it's been a whirlwind. I mean, she's she's been through a lot in the last uh, eight days, and it's something if she played doubles as well at, at some point, maybe yeah. there's a fatigue factor, but, but I think she has a really good chance. And, and then I think Felix, um, you you almost hate to put it this way, but this, this would be a real disappointment if he didn't pull through. I mean, Alcaraz is, is really good. He's going to be in the top ten. Everyone, you know, he's, he's the next Nadal. Is he the next Federer. I mean, there's a lot of hype around this kid, but, you know, 18 is 18. And um, in theory, you know, Felix ought to come through, and I, it's probably a bit of extra pressure for him. If, if you told Felix, you know, a week ago, you're going to play in the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open, and the guy you have to beat to get to the next round is, is 18 years old and ranked outside the top 50, he'd, he'd say, sign me up. So um, it's it's an opportunity. He's also probably going to play with a bit of a burden, knowing if, if he doesn't win, it will be a bit of a sting to this whole tournament.
1: John, uh, let's go back to late last week. Naomi Osaka in her post-match. I I thought this was stunningly strong on her part to be able to articulate and fight through the tears and and also the the, the caution from who was ever controlling what she was saying to, to maybe wrap it up, that she persevered and told everybody exactly how she felt. What was your take on that?
2: Um. Yeah, it was, it was it was hard to watch. I, I, that was um, my reaction as well. I, I think people sort of braced themselves that this was a possibility. There were a lot of questions about her uh, her, her mental state coming in. I, I think you're right. I mean, one thing that I've thought—I don't know if you've had the same thought—you um, know, whether it's Demar Derozan or, or Naomi Osaka or Kevin Love or Simone Biles. I mean, this this has been something athletes are comfortable discussing. I'm, I'm wondering how many athletes from prior generations have also had these struggles mm-hmm. and didn't have the vocabulary, didn't have the sort of the identification, didn't have the comfort of knowing that there would be the sympathy and people wouldn't just say, you know, shut up, enjoy your mm-hmm. mil- millions, and uh, people would tell to be in your position and just fight through it and be strong. I mean, I, I sort of wonder, I, I don't think mental health has all of a sudden started to – uh impact professional athletes, I, I kind of, I, I see Naomi Osaka and I think back in the 70s, 80s, 90s. I mean, how many other athletes went through this and just didn't have the strength, courage, vocabulary to do what she did?
1: oh i'm I'm totally with you on that. I mean, I could think of a lot of um uh, you know pop culture icons that would have been trapped in in the same sort of situation solo acts I mean tennis is a solo act and and you know there are people that that are responsible for you or and and you're actually providing a, a lifestyle for them then you might feel that you won't don't want to sort of end end the run for them at your own expense i mean that's a really uh, dangerous position to be in, and I thought that, that the fact that she could persevere and do that is is stunning. I, I would totally applaud anything she did there.
2: Yeah, and I also think that, um, you know, someone can say when you're a little kid, hey, if you're a tennis player, this is what, you know, you're, you're going to, uh, you know, you'll win a big tournament or here you're going to hit the ball, you're going to travel. N- nobody can prepare you for the pressure, and you're totally right. I mean, it's in an individual sport, it's only magnified. Nobody can prepare you for sixty million dollars of wealth and companies and sponsorships and the the, the travel and the paparazzi and social media. Um, I mean, I've I've heard people say sort of like, you know, if if you don't like fame and you don't like attention, fine, but don't be an athlete. It's like saying if you don't like if you don't like blood, don't be a surgeon. I I don't think that's quite accurate because I don't think it's you know, in Naomi Osaka grew up if you if didn't like hitting tennis balls it's one thing but i think there, there's no preparing anyone for the kind of fame she has and saying like if, if you don't like it don't be an athlete i, I think misses the point
1: yeah i, I agree and the fame and, and responsibility which is tenfold let's talk about the men's singles uh, does anybody get in djokovic's way
2: um, it's a good question. I mean, I think, uh, we, we were just talking about tennis as an individual sport. I mean, I think the the way he doesn't win this thing is if it's sort of a tag team and, uh, somebody really gives him a run and tires him out for the next round. Um, you know, he, he his draw gets a lot tougher. He's had a very easy first week. He played a teenager. He played a qualifier. He played a player. He'd beaten 16 times in a row. Last night he played Jensen Brooksby. who's was, you know, admirable but ranked 99 and uh is, is a young kid playing you know his, his first full season i i think that jokovic's draw gets a lot tougher but i also think that um he is so good and especially in best of five where he can play less than his best for a long period of time and recover i i think he pulls this thing off i think it's going to take a sort of tag team you know maybe a, a one quarter finalist pushes him and he doesn't have the legs for the semis kind of thing but uh I, I would take him against the field, that's for sure.
1: And it's just a, as, as a way out, John. I mean, it's just great to see Pac stands at the U.S. Open again, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and I think that um, it'd be beyond sort of the, the sheer quantity of fans. I think the fans are happy to be there. I think in a weird way, not having Serena Williams, Federer Djokovic has kind of um, changed the whole vibe, the energy of this tournament, since it's so wide open. They're not sitting there watching Serena bulldoze someone you know, six two, six two in 50 minutes. All these matches are so competitive and dramatic and up and down that the fans really are not just there but really engaged. And, uh, yeah, it's been, you know, in, in some ways, you say before the tournament, uh, you know, the, the defending men's champ, Serena, Venus, Federer, Nadal aren't going to be in the draw, and you sort of say, oh, man, that's a bummer. And in a weird way, it's, it's kind of been a disguised blessing, I think.
1: John, really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Anytime. You got it. John Wertheim from Sports Illustrated going over the U.S. Open. Bianca loses has said about, uh, well, it says on my lineup here, about 2.13. I was awake. I think it was closer to 2.20, but I don't want to have an argument about that. And it was grueling. I mean, you really felt bad for the groin injury. There were a couple of plays where uh, Zachary forced her to come into the net. And I don't know if you've noticed this. I noticed this with uh, Dennis Shapovalov as well. Uh, player charges to the net and uh, has to hit the brakes. Uh, slippery surface. And they said it's either the a combination of the surface and the shoes but I I counted at least three where she did that. Actually, one was on the baseline where she had to reverse, and and the bottom line was she did the splits. Uh, and so when you're doing that at full speed, uh, you know something is going to give. And that was the left groin, so it was taped up. Uh, there was a you know medical attention. There was a medical break. I think it was tied at three in the third set. But when she came back on the serve, when she landed on the left leg in pain, uh, the 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 leg would buckle, and any kind of lateral movement. I mean basically playing on one leg uh still very competitive it was uh, a marvelous you felt you felt really bad for her because you knew it wasn't going to work out but this kid uh, battled through everything and I say kid because she just turned 21 I mean, it's hard to hard to fathom that she was 19 when she won the US Open um, and so she's battled through all kinds of injuries and there, I mean, she wanted to cry. I, I know you could see it on her face. Um, and, and so it was difficult to watch seven, six, six, seven, three, six. And, and so our hopes now go to the two that are left and uh, that'll be Leila Annie Fernandez. And uh, she gets underway. I'm just trying to find that schedule again. Uh, and she gets underway at about two, two thirty today. And uh, then there's uh, Felix Ojeda, who gets uh, un- into action uh, tonight as well. All of this on t- on TSN. Uh, sorry, on TSN as well. Uh, so we're going to go back to now, and uh, Chris, bear with me here as I shuffle around and get some sound. Going to go back to the baseball story. So the Jays are busy with the Yankees again. Martz against Garrett Cole tonight. Eight and two, the Jays for their last ten games, and they're three games out. And in terms of uh, reaction around Major League Baseball, uh, Buster Olney was on first up this morning and was uh, talking pretty positively about the Jays. In fact, uh, we're going to go to that second clip, Chris, if you will, saying the Jays are the second-best team in the AL right now.
0: The Tampa Bay Rays are the best team in the American League. But you know what? Uh, And considering how the Jays are playing and considering what's going on with the, the other teams in the American League, Right now, the Jays are the second-best team in the American League, and they are the team that nobody in the American League wants to see in the postseason. They are so dangerous, and, and, you know, it's funny because, you know, we'll look at the, you know, the broad spectrum of performance and statistics and, okay, you know, how a season is going. What really matters is how dangerous a team is in this moment. You know, the, in the last uh, 15 years, the best example of that, has always been the San Francisco Giants who won three World Series in five years, despite the fact that they weren't necessarily the best team during the regular seasons. But once you got into postseason, you know, they had guys like Bumgarner who would step up. That's where you look at the Jays right now, where the rotation is right now with Robbie Ray uh, and, you know, Ryu having his experience and the ability to shut down a good lineup like we saw yesterday. Uh, when you look at the offense, And see, you know, where Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is, where Marcus Simeon is right now. This is a team nobody wants to face. Uh, and I, I think they got a real shot to catch either the Red Sox or the Yankees for a wild card spot because those two teams right now, they're, they're an absolute mess. Yeah.
1: So that's where we stand. Uh, Jays against the Yankees tonight. It goes at 7.05. Matt's against Cole. Uh, tomorrow night it will be Manoa against Gill and then, uh, Barrios against Montgomery. Then it's on to Baltimore for the weekend. Four game set, uh, that wraps up, uh, let me just do this here. Two games on Saturday. That's why it's a four game set. Just checking the, the schedule then, uh, at home to Tampa, then at home to Minnesota, then in Tampa, then in Minnesota. And, uh, then back at home to the Yankees and, finish off with a stand against the Yankees in Baltimore so I mean they're going to win their way in which is why he's going to say that if they do get in uh, nobody wants to play them in the playoffs so I would totally agree with that coming up next we'll have Keegan Matheson on to further develop the Blue Jays story uh, I should tell you a reminder that Leafs lunch returns as we get closer so later this month as we get closer to the Leafs season and we'll have more to say on that in the next couple of days in, in terms of uh, you know mapping out the Leafs lunch and, and stuff like that and of course we've got gameplay coming up 1-4 to four with Matt Cause and then 4-6 uh, we have overdrive with everybody in the regular spot. This, by the way, is Toronto Today. TSN 1050, TSN1050.ca. Also available in the TSN and iHeart Radio Apps. Welcome back to Toronto today. Jim Taddy with you today to one and gameplay with Matt Cause takes over. Uh, we going to talk about the Jays tonight against the Yankees again, part of a four-game set. Uh, Matt's against Garrett Cole, as we detailed earlier, 8-2 in their last 10-3 out of the wild-card spot. And, you know, with uh, this series against the Yankees, and another one later on sprinkled in with all kinds of games against Baltimore, if they could win this series this week and the one later on would certainly put them in a position... Uh, you know, you have, they have to win their way in and have to control their fate, but obviously other teams have things to say about that. So if you win the series and then sort of pick up the pieces later on, that's a nice little recipe for success. Uh, Robbie Ray had a great outing against the Oakland A's. Uh, we had, uh, last night Ryu doing a nice job against the Yankees. Robbie Ray, according to Buster, only on first up is being considered as a Cy Young candidate.
0: I would say, as of today, I think Cole is the front runner uh, for the Cy Young Award. Um, You know, with Robbie Ray running a strong second, and then there's a gap there. You know, Lance Lynn going on the injured list that probably takes him out of the mix. I think it'll come down between these two. Um, It is amazing how quickly. Uh, a race like that can change. You know, on Sunday night baseball, we were—I was just out in San Francisco. We had the Dodgers against the Giants, and Walker Buehler, I think, went into the weekend as the front runner to be the Cy Young Award. And then he had an awful start on Sunday night, and he dropped down the leaderboard in a bunch of categories. And then all of a sudden, Max Scherzer emerged yesterday. <laughs> he probably is the front runner now. I think that's—that's that's what we see. So, uh, you know, Garrett Cole goes into the start tonight as uh, sitting in the in the number one spot for Cy Young Award. But if he gets beaten up and, you know, the numbers begin to shift and some of the, like Robbie Ray right now has an advantage over him in ERA, Garrett Cole gets beaten up. He he has a crooked uh, pitching line. It changes things, I think, in the minds of voters. Um, And I've seen that in voting, you know, time and again in years past.
1: That's the great thing about Major League Baseball, 162 games long, and yet when you get into the final 30 or so, things can happen that could uh, sort of wipe out what happened in the previous 132. Let's bring in Keegan Matheson now, Blue Jays reporter for MLB.com. Keegan, welcome. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great, Jim. Thanks for having me. Our, our pleasure. So, I mean, this this picture has brightened up quite nicely over the last four ball games. Jays eight and two in their last ten, and, and are in a position to to win their way in. What's What's different about this team over the last ten ball games that you didn't see before?
3: It completely different. This was a team playing such an uninspiring brand of baseball, and an unexciting brand of baseball. So many days at Skydome it was just dead in there for the game. There was no energy on the field, nothing around the stadium, and. It changes so quickly they're finally playing up to their talents which was not the case for so long they were playing down to teams like the Orioles or the Tigers but now they're playing to their talent level and, and there's a certain energy involved in that as well with 162 games it's difficult to understand you know even for myself being around this team every day what type of wear that puts on a player and it's more than just the game it is the hotel life and the travel and i I know they fly a bit nicer than we do but it's still a lot of moving around and being unrooted for a long time so you're seeing a team that is dealing with that better now i think and you are seeing young players who are starting to understand how to play their best even when they're not feeling their best and it's just been a complete 180 this past week, and it's changed so quickly. Only a couple of games closer in the wild card, but it feels like they have just jumped completely up the standings.
1: Well, I mean, what you're really describing there is is, is key parts of the team uh, delivering at the right time, which is, you know, it doesn't happen all the time to every team, but it, it's it's a great thing to have in in your file, isn't it?
3: Yeah, so much of this is timing, Jim, with hitting with runners in scoring position, hitting late in games. That was the strangest part of this Blue Jays season for me, is they just forgot how to hit in the 7th, 8th, and ninth inning. And yes, you're dealing with matchups and hard-throwing relievers, but other teams can hit that. You know, that's not a good enough excuse. Other teams are finding ways to do it, and if you want to win, if you want to make the postseason, you've got to figure that out. And even last night, Marcus Semyon with that grand slam, to give the Blue Jays some insurance, they have done nothing in terms of insurance this year. They've had a lot of good starts, and they hand it off to the bullpen and say, hey, figure this out. This offense is too good to be doing that. So that late-game insurance and playing a full nine innings offensively. Too often they've played six innings offensively and asked the patient to do the rest, but it was a much more complete look.
1: Yeah, you know, it's a football term, complimentary football. I talked about this in the Cats, went over the Argos. Um, pick six, uh, punt return, good offense, good defense, so everything's contributing. Um, and, and it sounds like that's where we are with the Jays. I, I don't know that we've had the full look at complementary baseball, if that's even a term. What's, what's your take on that? Have, have we seen everything, well, sort of everything sort of contributing at the same time, or is it just different units sort of getting the team through this?
3: You're starting to see it more, and that was the Blue Jays' problem, Jim, sees, is that the bats would show up, but they would have to win 10-9. to 9. Or the pitcher would show up, and the bats wouldn't. They'd have to win 2-1. to 1. It's, it's such a stressful way, day-to-day, to play baseball, and not having that day where you have the 8 nothing win, like last night where you can finally breathe and relax. And I do think they are connected, maybe not as closely as in other sports, but what you've heard a lot recently, whether it's from Charlie Montoyo or someone like Marcus Semyon, who has such a good finger to the pulse of this team and of young players, is that when you're playing in close games like that, especially if you're a young guy, you can try to do too much. You can try to pick up your pitcher, and that's all good and well. The intentions are fine, but in baseball, it's not a sport where 110% works all the time. The moment you overextend yourself and try to do too much – well, a smart pitcher is going to pull back with a change-up and make you look like a fool. It's easy. So I think you're seeing the Blue Jays finally being able to breathe and relax a little bit at the plate and do what they're good at. Not try to do any more than that, but just do what they're good at.
1: So, I mean, there's, there's a good support staff here. There's no question that a lot of people like the, the Jays roster, but the top end is, is really doing the job. How would you rate the, the Semien, uh vladdy 1-2 punch in Major League Baseball? How good are those two guys together? I think there's
3: a good argument they are the best offensively. When you see where they rank top five in home runs, right now among all position players, if you break it down by wins above replacement, Vladdy is number one at 6.0. Marcus Semien is number two at 5.9. It just doesn't get better than that. And guys like Marcus Semyon, and this goes for Robbie Witt- Ray as well. If it weren't for Vladdy, I, I think we'd be talking about them daily. They have seasons worth that. But it, the uh, you know the Vladdy show is understandable. But having that one two punch, and not just that, but on one side you have George Springer. Behind that you have Bo Bichette and Teoscar Hernandez. That top of the lineup is scary. You know this gets back to those. Real glory days offensively of 15 and 16, where you've got Donaldson, Bautista, Incarnacion, and so on and so forth. It's such a challenge for a starting pitcher. And that's when you really start to build even complementary offenses, I I believe, when you're really forcing a pitcher to throw to a guy. You don't want to walk Vladdy. You don't want to walk Semyon, because right behind them is somebody else who's going to hurt you.
1: Well, and you brought up Springer. I mean, there's almost like a a weird air about his, his health and, and the foul off off the, the left kneecap certainly flattened that tire. Going forward, if they had to go forward without him, and, and they've had to do this a number of times this year, how catastrophic a loss is that?
3: It's tough. It's something they've done before. They have enough talent to go on without it. Uh, I mean, It's not what you want, but seeing Springer even running the bases before that foul off the knee yesterday, was tough. And I do admire what he's doing because he's trying to play through something that's obviously really not good, not comfortable for him. And the Blue Jays have said it's a matter of pain management that it shouldn't get any worse from here. You're not dealing with a tear that might get worse or something more worrying. But you need him a little closer to 100%. I know nobody is 100% right now. But seeing him dropping to a knee, struggling to get up, struggling to get down that baseline as a DH is tough. So the Blue Jays have enough bats where they can fill that out if they need to be without Springer for a few days. Uh, If he needs longer than that, I think that's when you start to worry. And at this point, Jim, I think seeing Springer in center field is out of the question, Uh, unless it's really late in the season, just how he's moving around. Uh, Playing defense is not in the conversation at all right now.
1: So Keegan I'm I'm sure you have looked at the schedule and and clearly that the the Yankee series that we're in now and the one that happens later are are key moments for the Jays and sprinkled in a, a bunch of Minnesota, Baltimore and and some Tampa. I mean it is it is very doable, isn't it? It is doable.
3: When you look at those series against the the Orioles especially, this is when the Blue Jays need to dominate and go in and bully a team that they're better than. They haven't always done that this year, but with some momentum that should be easier, and there's an urgency to this as well. You know, when you play 162 games, not every game is the most urgent game of these players' careers. Uh, it can't be, but at this point of the year, it really starts to pick up. And I think Jim, the big series will be those Rays series. I, I know they're not chasing Tampa Bay right now, but that's the one real threat on their schedule where they could go one and five or two and four. The Rays are so good themselves as a standalone team, but have always played the Blue Jays so well along the way. And they pose such a great challenge for Toronto because they play the type of baseball Toronto wants to play, which is clean, tight baseball, mistake-free baseball. That's why it's built so well for the playoffs. And I think those will be the big challenges, and the Blue Jays will really need to make their hay elsewhere and beat some better teams.
1: So, Keegan, if we're talking about postseason baseball for the Blue Jays, what, you know, who, would we, who would we credit? I mean, obviously it would be a full-team effort, but, but it has to be on, on the starting rotation and the bats, right?
3: I think so. You know, Jim, this starting rotation has been fantastic. And I'm sure if we went back to February and March, we could dig up a bunch of audio that makes me sound stupid talking about this starting rotation. It looked like Hanjin Ryu and then a bunch of question marks, really. Maybe yeah. Nate Pearson was going to be something he has not been. Maybe Steven Matz could be that number four, while at the start he was a number two. Now he's a great back-end guy. Alec Manoa was not supposed to touch this roster in 2021. And then we get to Robbie Ray. Yeah, I really think that when you talk about the value to a team, what Robbie Ray has done is just incredible for this roster. Without Robbie Ray, we're not talking about the Blue Jays being nearly this close to a wild-card spot because, if the Blue Jays had have gotten a four point two five ERA, let's say from Robbie Ray, where he is up and down, good one day, bad the next, I would have said sure. You know, that's what you get for a year and eight million bucks from a guy who struggles with control. He's going to get Cy Young votes. You know, he might be in that one, two, three conversation, the Cy Young. That is a million miles beyond expectation. So I think the the value of Ray really cannot be overstated.
1: And we've seen this movie before. I mean, if Ray was to lead the way, and there's no reason to doubt that he couldn't, and if Semyon was to continue as he has, and there's no reason to doubt that he won't, um, then all of a sudden you've got two guys leading the way that could not return next year. That's difficult, isn't it?
3: It is. This is going to be an interesting off season now. Whether the Blue Jays season ends on October 3rd or 5th or later in the month, that is the big question. That's the thing we're talking about the very next morning in Marcus yeah. Semyon and Robbie Ray, because... Those have been two of the best deals in baseball this year, which is great for this year. But the moment that final out of your final game is recorded, you think, oh, no, these guys just got expensive. Marcus Semyon is not taking a one-year deal. Robbie Ray sure is not making $8 bucks a year next year. He's probably tripling that. So it's uh, really worked out for the Blue Jays this year. But you've seen the value. And if you knock off both of those players next season, that's an ugly look. You know, The Blue Jays should have a ton of money to play with. They will be involved on both, and if they don't get Semien, don't get Ray, well, they've got to go for something comparable, especially in terms of Ray. That starting rotation has been such a benefit for them, and it's going to be an interesting offseason and high stakes, too. This is not going to be about bargain bins. This is going to be top of the market.
1: So I'm told I have your travel itinerary in front of me. You are actually in New York City. Is this your first trip? I've been on the road
3: a bit this year, down through Buffalo, Dunedin, some strange ones. I'm standing in the, looking down on Times Square right now. It's uh, a little empty, but it's uh, interesting to be back on the road, see some uh, some full stadiums.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, what is that like? I always ask this question for people who travel. In terms of your protocols, what do you have to go through?
3: Now, it does vary a little bit state to state. Now, um you know, here in New York, there is not a, a mandate for fully vaccinated when you're indoors in some locations. So, it's a lot of uh, making sure I've got the right state protocols to correct this and that. But in terms of media, day-to-day coverage, the real minutia of it, we are on the field talking to players, and it's great to be off of Zoom. Uh, a couple of players have <laughs> joked that they haven't seen anything below my shoulders in a couple of years, so it's good to know that I still have legs, and it's uh, much different, much different, but good to be off of Zoom sometimes and have some real human conversations.
1: Normal is good, isn't it, Keegan?
3: It is. It's refreshing to be back,
1: <laughs> Keegan. Thanks very much. Appreciate it.
3: You got it, Jim. Take care.
1: Keegan Matheson, Blue Jays reporter for MLB. dot com, reporting to us live from New York as the uh, Yankees and Jays continue their series tonight. And again, Matt's at ten and seven against Garrett Cole at fourteen and six. Now you heard Buster Olney earlier saying that if Garrett Cole gets uh, tagged tonight, that suddenly uh, his stock decreases. Uh, in terms of Cy Young. So, I mean, that's, as I said earlier, you, you play 132 games and then you get into the final 30, and all those trends are there, and, and a lot of times they, they bear fruit, like the, the one for the Jays would be the run differential, which they're in really good shape, and it hasn't really paid off until now, uh, so they sit at uh, plus 136, and uh, Seattle slightly behind at minus 55. Uh, that's starting to turn around and head in the right direction, and, you know, sometimes the, the turnaround in baseball is slow because there's 160. Two games, but it should all even out at the end, and, and it seems to be tracking in that direction. There's a lot of optimism, uh, to say the least. Uh, later on, we're going to revisit the tennis, go over the schedule, and uh, talk about a few other things. That is in the final segment, leading the way for gameplay with Matt Cause. This is Toronto Today, TSN 1050, TSN 1050.ca, also available in the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. Now, back to Toronto Today. Welcome back. Final segment for Toronto today. A reminder: Leafs lunch returns later this month, and uh, today gameplay one to four with Matt Cos, and then Overdrive with all the regulars back. Hayes. Oh, dog and noodles! I think they might have a conversation or two about what they've been doing for the last two months. I know Hayes has been busy, so that's Overdrive four to seven on TSN ten fifty. You can watch it on TSN as well. So I'm just going to go over the, the tennis menu for you again: Leilani Fernandez against Alina Switolina, and that'll be live on TSN one three four and five, starting approximately at two thirty. Felix Oji Aliasim against Carlos Alcaraz. Live on TSN One and Four, approximately nine tonight. And uh, for those that really want to support uh, our Canadian hope, there's Annabelle Zoom in the second round girls singles match on TSN.ca and the TSN app, starting at approximately nine minutes or so. And then there's Marina. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna struggle with this. Stakosic, yes, Marina Stukosic, uh first round girls doubles match on TSN.ca and the TSN app, approximately 5 p.m. So when I'm talking about Annabelle and Marina, this would have been Felix and Layla uh, among others two or three years ago. So that's how fast Felix and, and Layla have climbed up the tennis ladder. Let's not forget Dennis and of course Bianca winning the U.S. Open at age 19. Um, that was a real struggle to watch. You probably bailed, but it was uh, going until. 220 this morning. And I want to say from 145 until the end. Um, all you saw was pain and perseverance from Bianca, who went out like a champion. She lost, she won the first set 7-6, lost the second 6-7. So there's a tiebreak two there, uh, and also lost the last one 3-6. This was, I'm going to say, at 3-3 in the third set, uh, Bianca went off her metal, medical attention, came back, and it was clear. I don't know, you know, I mean, anybody else would have quit, uh, but she persevered through and, uh, and battled. I mean, she didn't watch it, uh, didn't watch her elimination happen. She went down swinging, as they say. And after, Bianca and Mark Rowe on what Bianca takes away from her U.S. Open performance.
0: What do you take away from the last eight days and where your game is at at the moment? I'm very happy. I'm very pleased with my performances this week, Um, especially today. You know, I really did my best. I fought all the way through, and I hope that it can show, you know, to never give up because anything is possible. Um, And I was thinking about you know my true purpose in life and it's to really inspire and motivate people and I really hope that this match could you know people could take that out of it uh, and just finally just the early diagnosis on your age
1: Okay, uh, so that was a it was a groin injury. Bianca said that. So, and again, I said earlier, uh, the, the surface and it's a combination of what they said on the broadcast, the surface and the shoes, and and so um, Zachary was able to draw her into the net on a couple of occasions. Uh, and you know, when you're charging in and you have to change direction or stop, there's a slide that happens. Um, and and I, I did wince a couple of times because she basically did a full split on the court at full speed um that's not something you want to try at home there was one on the baseline as well and 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 I don't I'm not a doctor I've never played one on radio or television but I would assume that that was a contributing factor to the left groin problem she came out in the third set with her left thigh taped um, but obviously, I mean, it was just for, and there wasn't much stability on that leg. If you ever see the highlights for how she persevered, that would be inspirational for anybody about how to behave in a situation of magnitude where you don't have all your physical ability and there's a lot of people watching and you want to represent yourself and everybody you represent as well, your entire team properly. She went out like a champion. I can't say that enough. Uh, here is the the sort of the broadcast order for the rest of the day on TSN 1050. Uh, We've got the debut of Gameplay with Matt Cause and it airs every weekday, 1 to 4. Gameplay is Canada's first daily radio show focused on sports betting and fantasy, providing listeners with the inside edge in every sport along with the latest lines and best prop bets and more. And uh, let's go through this. Scott Mitchell will be by at 2.30 talking about the Jays. Kevin Waugh, the politician who was behind the Bill C-218, the single sports betting in Canada bill, will be by at 3 o'clock. First up in TSN Edge is Aaron Caroldo. AK will be by at 3:30, and there's uh, another name I'm probably going to mangle. NFL analyst Dave Damaschek will be by at uh, 1:30, and obviously tracking the NFL season starts uh, this week. So things, uh, you know, as soon as you cross Labor Day, uh, you think it's still summer because the weather is like that. But obviously, there's a lot of things uh, in the air that tell you that. It feels like summer, but the fall is approaching at lickety-split speed. It's funny that way. You'll notice that at night when you are going for a walk, it gets darker fast. I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to go down that road. But as I said earlier, uh, with school returning this week and everything open as much as it can be at this time, this week, promises to be the most air quotes normal that we've had i want to go back to maybe late march early april 2019 so beware the kids when you're driving this afternoon Uh, they're not all in school but later this week as well beware of the traffic patterns they're going to be a little different thanks for joining us on toronto today gameplay is next